We can remain standing. Just listen to these lyrics while you stand there. First verse goes as follows. The world is shaking with the love of God. Just let that sink in. The world is shaking with the love of God. Great and glorious, let the whole earth sing. And all you ever do is change the old for new. People, we believe that God is bigger than the air I breathe. Amen? People, we believe that the world we will leave, God will save the day. And all will say, my glorious. Because every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Clouds are breaking. Heavens come to earth in the form and flesh of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. Hearts awakening. Let the church bells ring. Hearts awakening. We've already sung about awakening. Let the church bells ring. Let the church make a sound. Let the church not be silent there in the world we live. And all you ever do is change the old for new. You can take a seat if you want to. You don't have to. It's, this is a free house. You can lie down. You can do, do whatever you want. Uh, my name is Gerben. I'm very privileged to speak to you tonight about a lifestyle of worship and a, a, about 2020, God is bigger than dot, dot, dot. That's the title of my sermon tonight. Um, well, that's the starting point of my sermon tonight. As the Holy Spirit leads me, I might have other titles along the way. But that's the starting point. God is bigger than. And I chose this title because in 2019, as Head for Christian Church family, our theme was... Be ready. Be ready. Yeah, people in the back are maybe new. Welcome to the church. <laughs> Be ready for God's glory on display. Um, and for 2020, we're kicking off in February with a, with a year theme, well, until God says, and now it's enough, do something else. Uh, but that will be all centralized around God's love, God's love. So the next three weeks, leaving us three weeks to get to February, we have exciting things as a church. We always kick off the, 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 the year with a week of prayer and fasting, which happens from the, I think, 20th of January. You saw it in the announcements, if you paid some attention or if you paid uh, into the offering basket or paid something. Um, 20th of January, we have a week of prayer and fasting, so keep, keep your eye on the Facebook pages and websites and all the rest of it. And um, that, the next three weeks will all be about the journey of worship. It will be about the lifestyle of worship. And why do we do that as a church? It's because that is Jesus' command in John 4, verse 21 to 24, where he speaks about worshiping in spirit and truth. And we'll unpack that a little bit tonight to kick off that mini-series of a lifestyle of worship. But I would like to connect tonight the, the 2019 theme, because I, I don't know about you, but I mean, if all we saw last year about God's glory on display, and we have seen it, but I mean, are you satisfied? One person's not satisfied. Is the rest of you satisfied with what you saw on display? I, am, I would be utterly disappointed if that was it. So I still believe we need to pursue that with all of our hearts. But the, the thing to unlock God's glory on display will come through your life and through my life and how we live our lives and how we lead others to live their lives in Christ Jesus and in obedience and with, with the great fun of walking with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And so I want to connect this tonight and 
the whole week this song kept on ringing through my head. I didn't even realize the title was My Glorious. Um, I just thought it was God is Bigger Than, because that is, I had that in my head for a sermon title. And then to my great joy, I discovered the title song is actually My Glorious. It's always like that, isn't it, in charismatic churches? Isn't it confusing? I don't know, but I mean, I've been in worship teams for 20 years. I mean, all the songs have more than one title. It's really, if you haven't been part of worship teams, you, you might not know this, but it's very confusing. Like you get a song list sent to you, like, okay, next week we're going to rehearse these songs. And you see titles, you think, okay, it's that song, it's great. And then you come to the rehearsal and it's a completely different song. It just happens to be uh, the title all of a sudden morphed into the first line of the chorus. Like in my head with this one. I never knew it was actually titled My Glorious. I thought it was God is Bigger Than, because it's the first line of the chorus. Um, but it's an amazing song. The world is shaking with the love of God. Obviously, God shook things up when he sent his only begotten son to this world to save us. Nothing ever since has been the same. And nothing should be the same from day to day in our lives because of this. You, you should have a trail behind you of things that are shaken and have been shaken. When you look behind you, when you walk on this earth with your identity in Christ and following the Holy Spirit... <sighs> it's supposed to look a little bit confusing and messy behind you. Because that's a sign of you not blending in. You saying, I am not of this world. I happen to live in this world, but I'm not of this world. My spirit is seated in heavenly places according to my Bible in Ephesians. Which means the trail I leave behind is one, um, it's a mix of people. That when I look behind, I see people looking at me sometimes like, or like, <laughs> or like, Talk to the hand. <laughs> All kinds of Jerry Springer things come to mind. Um, but if we are obedient to what God wants us to do, we won't see a lot of people following us. Direction heaven. Let's go like, yeah, everything Gerben does, everything Tisha does. That seems perfectly normal. That is like completely how the world, you know, that's expected of how you should behave in the world. We are called to have a different lifestyle. When Jesus came, he shook things up. He's meeting women all by himself as a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Uh, he, he does all kinds of things that upset a lot of people. Hence, he got crucified. There's a reason we have to carry our cross. You, the, carrying your cross, being crucified with Christ, means you leave a trail behind you of strange things, of people puzzled and wanting to know more, and not a whole bunch of people following you going, yeah, Perfectly logical. That is exactly how I live my life as well as an atheist. <laughs> that would be not a good sign. So I'm challenging you and charging you right from the beginning of the year. When you look back, the people that follow you, how, how do they look? What is their body language? And it's just in being different, in being... It's not about evangelism... In this day and age, is is not about quoting scriptures really, really well. It's nice amongst Christians, so you can debate certain things. You can go into apologetics or be apologetic about what you say. Oh, what? Choose one, whatever. But you know. But when it comes to encountering the unbelievers, and we need to get into a new form and a way of evangelizing, like Jesus came and actually embodied and put flesh around every truth in the Old Testament, not actually 
contradicting the Old Testament, not, not preaching a new gospel, just being. Being in line with God's truths that were already there. Being, being, seeing God doing things and then imitating that. Hearing God saying things and just echoing that. Not making up a complicated theology and a, you know, a whole new gospel. That's not what Jesus came to do. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about this, um, this how can we challenge the status quo. Because we need that. Otherwise, the, the world is an utterly boring place. I mean, I was part of that. You know, 20 years ago, I was a non-Christian. I was part of I was utterly bored. I thought I was content, but actually it was pretty, it's pretty boring. Um, how do we shake things up like Jesus did? We don't have to get crucified. We're already crucified with Christ. So relax. You know, change the old for new. It's already been done. And if not, you can come forward after the service and we'll pray for you. And we change the old for new. Now I stop singing because people might backslide if I keep on singing. <laughs> so with him, bigger is always better. Mick and I just came from America. If I walk around a lot and move a lot, it's just because I don't want to kind of fall asleep. I'm in a jet lag. I, we just came back from the States. So, so I'm trying to keep, keep myself uh, awake. Um, and in, in America, a lot, there's a lot of bigger is better. Everything seems to be bigger. <laughs> We've been there a lot. I've ministered there a lot as well. There's a lot of prophetic worship teams over the years. And... Um, but it doesn't work like that in this world. That's, that's the isms of this world. But with God, bigger is better. He, he's the only one where I can truly say that applies to him alone. It applies to nothing to this world. I mean, less of me, more of him, in fact. So, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Now, this phrase, I want to lift this phrase out that he has planted, sorry, we're back in South Africa, planted eternity in the human heart. This is the empowering force, ladies and gentlemen. Placement of eternity in you, your heart and in my heart in Christ Jesus. That gives me the power and the patience and the grace and the love and the whole, everything, all the other characteristics are locked up in, 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 in that phrase. That God wanted, already in the Old Testament he proclaims here, that his desire for us is to have eternal perspective. Because how many of you know that you get into trouble if you lose eternal perspective? If the only perspective you get is what the people tell you around it. If the only perspective is how you feel about stuff. If the only perspective is what president we have or how much money you have or the stuff you don't have. Or the, or, you know, if, if, you don't, if you lose your eternal perspective, if you don't know that you are connected to eternity and that then you are part of the bigness of God. Then when you sing God is bigger than, you actually are with with the right club, so to speak. You subscribe to the right um, website of eternity. It's eternal, eternal perspective that gives us everything we need in life to not be bogged down by the things of this earth, but to be able to lift our eyes to Jesus, to be able to worship Him in spirit and truth, to 
be able to respond in the opposite spirit, to be able to forgive. Because although you can be a Christian, I've seen many Christians, I mean, they are Christians, they know the power of the cross, but they somehow are not able to forgive people. Because the ability to forgive, just because you know you can, because of what Jesus did, doesn't mean you, your soul, you yourself as a human being, are always able to be patient, to be, you know, loving, to be forgiving. To be. That requires a whole set of qualities, the, the ways and the works of the cross, we call it in theology, right? It's just because Jesus died for you, that's what he did. Now you have to do your part. What is that part? It's to worship him in spirit and truth. It's to connect to eternity and say, okay, if, I, if you are spirit, God is spirit, then it's only logical that I connect with my spirit to him in order to worship him. And then in return, you get this kind of um, beam-me-up Scotty feeling of being in the heavenlies and hearing directly from him without any distractions around you of what it is that he wants you to do. And Jesus had this 24-7. My word. I mean, well, it's actually his word. It's, it's incredible that Jesus just can say in John 5 and John 12, I can only do what I see my father doing. And it's like a very flippant statement. Oh, I can only do what I see my father doing. And I go like, <laughs> very difficult for me. <laughs> I can only say what I hear my father saying. I mean, most of the stuff I do is not what I see God doing. It's just what I do, and I hope that I don't offend anybody and God and a whole bunch of other things. You know, <laughs> It's really not an easy thing to, to exercise these qualities that we've been given through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a work to be done, and I believe 2020 is a, is a year of, of working. Why can I say that? It's because the first translation of the word worship, abodah, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, literal translation means to work, to actually put sweat in it. And it's not just to sing and have a great time and make it all about you and sing some songs and call that worship. That's not at all the rightful translation of the word worship. It means to work, to be of service to God, to be used by God, in other words. And that means it's up to you and me to engage with that or not. You have a choice to worship in every service and in every situation, whether at home, at work, in school, at varsity, in church, wherever you are. You 24-7, every single moment of every single day of every life sitting here in church and under the breath of my voice on SoundCloud and other media platforms, you have a choice to worship or not to worship. And it has nothing to do with singing. You can sing. Some people sing it out. My wife sings a lot when she worships him. I, I don't a lot, particularly when people listen. I refrain from singing. But it, it's not related to music, strangely enough. Neither in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. The word for Worship most used in the New Testament is proskuneo, means to bow down and to kiss, and to throw a kiss, actually, literally, like a hand kiss. So it's not passive. It's not like you stand there and just go like, hear my lips, Lord, kiss me. <laughs> it's not. It's up to me. That's, and I mean, if I would do that with the love of my life, if I would do it with my wife, like, you know, I come home and I go like, okay, I'm home now. That's just, it's just not, it's not really, 
a great uh, uh, level of intimacy and a, and a healthy relationship. <laughs> so for all of you who don't know yet how to kiss, that's not the way to... to, to. You can learn from the Bible how to kiss. Proskuneo. Just next time you meet somebody, you've got a, go, bo, go, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you just use the word proskuneo. That will chase them away. No, no. <laughs> go, Can you please proskuneo me? Okay, thank you very much. Bye. Um, because it also means to bow down, so don't do that. <laughs> we get into a whole complicated discussion. <laughs> um, women's rights being one of them. <laughs> Ooh, did I have to touch that? Yes, I did. If anybody has apologetic questions afterwards, I can, we can have a little discussion. It's wonderful. I love apologetics. So, anyway, this world we live in needs a bit more bowing down to God while kissing. Not just bowing down and looking reverent and, you know, and then what? Or just kissing and not kissing on your terms either. That's not a healthy relationship. If I want to kiss my wife on my terms all the time, if I want, if I want to... Give God my love on my terms. What kind of weird thing is that? And yet sometimes we, we feel like that. We, we, we have even an opinion about this corporate worship thing in church. Like if we don't like the song, and the song is the kissing medium. You know, the song is the way we, the lyrics are the ways we actually love on God. When we say, Lord, you are beautiful, that's the kiss. In reverence to him. And in humility. And if we, don't like, if we don't happen to like the style, or we need a different drum groove, or we want a different song, or we don't like the lyrics, or whatever it is, but usually it's not the lyrics, it's usually the style that has the wrong discussions around worship uh, worldwide. It's often worship, not worship. It's mispronounced. True worship is about how we kiss, how we love on God, how we adore Him, how we devote our lives to Him. And it, can, it comes through songs, that's corporate worship, but that's only one moment in the week. If, if your worship lifestyle depends on once a week church, you're going to have a headache in heaven. <laughs> Jesus teaches on worship. He teaches us the Our Father. And one of the lines, one of the most amazing, minds, uh, uh, amazing lines in the, in the Our Father is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my question to you is, what is in heaven? What's going on in heaven right now? Yeah, not preaching, not missions, not evangelism, would be weird. <laughs> it's like there's a fault in the system. Oh no, <laughs> somebody got in. <laughs> it doesn't happen. God doesn't make mistakes. These people are not in heaven. You can't evangelize in heaven. <laughs> I'm just saying, when Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray to, to the Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven. Worship. Worship me, worship me, worship me. That's why Jesus is so strong. That's why when he talks to the first, he prepares the first missionary, which was a woman, by the way. Oh, again, I'm touching the subject. And the first teacher of worship that evangelized her whole town and told the town about the living water was a woman. Not only that, it wasn't even a Jewish woman. Not only that, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a woman of, you know, with, with a great reputation. She's had five husbands already. And she was living with maybe number six. We don't know. And Jesus sees that. And she lo he loves on her. And at the same time, he also exposes the truth. And then she gets the Spirit 
Jesus imparts the truth and the spirit into her and she goes to her town. And it's the first account we find in the, in the Bible, besides Jesus, of a person that is empowered by Jesus before any of the disciples. None of the disciples went out two by two like in Acts to evangelize and to get people saved. This woman did. She was the first one. A stranger with a different belief system. The Samaritans were... were um, very, very adamant. They were not. They were not. They didn't have a good relationship with the Jews. They were very adamant that they had the true faith and they had the truth. That's why they they worshipped not in Jerusalem. They worshipped uh, in a different place. And they um, they they felt they they believed that they had the the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, that um, everything that was written in there in the way that they believed that that was faith. And so they rejected the Jewish uh, Judaism for, for that reason. And all of this happens actually, by the way, nice little detail, all of this happens, this encounter of the woman at the well, the revelation of the living water, the whole revelation on worshipping in spirit and truth and all of that. All of that happened at, at a well that was made by Jacob and given to his son Joseph. Now I won't go all into that more for all week Bible school, but it's interesting that almost all religions, it means something. For the Muslims, Jacob's well of John 4 is very important. For the Jews, it's very important. For the Samaritans, still today, it's, very, it's a very important place. And for the Christians, it's very important because it's the beginning of the revelation of what does God actually want from us? Lord, what do you want from me? This cry of David in the Psalms of like, Lord, what do you want from me? What must I do? Well, that thing gets answered in John 4, and the whole world goes, <sighs> a sigh. All of a sudden, the distortions, the dissonance, and the chords of worship became consonants, became, became something of a harmonious kind of... It, that was the answer. Jesus says, my Father is seeking those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And it's so interesting for me that a lot of the world religions... It's that same physical place that is also described in their books that they believe in. And then it bothers me a little bit that sometimes I meet Christians who are not worshippers. But they are Christians. They follow Christ. But their lifestyles are not... They don't have the starting point at that well. You see, at that well, all the shame was broken. That woman had a lot of shame in her life. That was the reason she came to that well in the middle of the day. Blazing hot sun in the middle of the day, because then she knew that she would be alone, that nobody would see her, so nobody could actually yak, 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 and complain about her lifestyle and all of that. And Jesus knows this, and she, he gives her this word of knowledge. It's like, yeah, you know, because he first shares with her about the living water, and I don't need a bucket, I don't need, because the woman says, well, you didn't bring stuff to get water. And Jesus says, well, you don't understand. And then he shares the revelation of the living water with her, and then he says to her, <coughs> excuse me, to her very sneakily, um, just go and fetch your husband. That's sneaky, because he knew. And then, of course, she, is, she, she confesses, which is remarkable. And then Jesus says, you're speaking the truth. And there's that word truth. And then he links it into, this is the way we should worship. Once you've got that living water, once it's bubbling up, once you are not reliant anymore on the wells of the earth and the possessions of this earth and the gatherings and the materials of this earth, in other words, if your reliance on food and water is not greater than the reliance of God himself, then 
You must worship this God in spirit and in truth. This is the reason why we have a week of prayer and fasting as well. So for a week we don't rely on certain things that you think your body needs to survive. And we set that aside for God, that time of maybe not going to the supermarket, um, the time that is spent cooking or the time that is spent eating, but to actually to say to God, to make a disciplined spiritual statement and saying, I'm putting you first no matter what. For some of you, it might be fasting in other areas. For me, it's always food. I take that literally, but there are other ways of doing it. The issue is the principle here. It's not the legalism in it. It's the principle of, do, are you in 2020, are you going to put God first? Is, or are you just going to sing the songs about God being so bigger than everything else? Because he gave his best. He gave his only son. He proved to us already that he is immeasurable and indescribable in a whole bunch of other songs. What are you going to do? What am I going to do as a response? Because that worship to God is always a response. It is a response to the revelation of who God is. That's the definition of worship. It's the response to the revelation of who God is. That's why we need the Spirit, otherwise it's not worship. Because the Spirit reveals, points to Jesus and reveals Jesus is the door, the way, the truth, the life. So by the Holy Spirit, I get a revelation of Jesus Christ, and then Christ opens the door to God the Father on the throne. And that's how it works, the Trinity. And so as we worship to the revelation of who Jesus is, all of a sudden we get a revelation of who God is, and we fall down on our knees, or we jump up, or we dance, or we look weird, and people that we leave behind us, in my case here at church sometimes even, or at university, they go like, who's this guy? And not always, and it's not about being crazy, or it's not at all, it's actually in a very mundane things. It's the extra little bit of patience you extend, or love, or the response in the opposite spirit, like I said earlier. And because if we don't bank and draw from this eternity, and it, the eternity in the human heart, according to the Old Testament already, and then capitalized on by Jesus Christ himself by dying on the cross and resurrecting again. If we don't capitalize on that, if we don't have eternal perspective, then there's no difference between us and them. You can't evangelize, you, because you can't show the better idea, the bigger God, the better God, because with God, bigger is better. And the struggles of life will come also this year. That's encouraging news for you today. Yay! It's a new year! I was able to forget some of the stuff and I left it in a backpack on the 31st of December and did all the spiritual actions and I wrote it on a little piece of paper and I set fire to it and I made a braai and I left it wherever and now it's a new year and now Gerben is saying the struggles will come this year. 2020 will be a year full of struggles. Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Oh, I'm singing again, sorry, it's the jet lag. It will be, it will, in this life we will have trials and tribulations. It is promised, it's a fantastic promise, amen? Can we give a shout for, for that promise? It's a promise. All the promises of God are yes and amen. You have sung it, ha ha ha. But you only think that the promises of God are all wonderful. They're not. <gasps> A lifestyle of worship is a sacrificial lifestyle. When Mick and I came to the Lord, first thing he said to us is, sell your house, sell your belongings, sell your possessions. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I didn't own the Bible. So we did. <laughs> Boo. <clears throat> yeah. And then it just 
went on from there. And we've never been happier doing that because that the obedience that comes to us, in our case, was a big step of obedience. But luckily, we didn't know it was a big step. God has a sneaky way of getting people to do, it, do what he needs us to do at times because his children can be quite rebellious like most kids of all ages. Um, and we all have our own opinions because God is not always bigger than our own ideas and opinions. I can assure you that the, the struggles will come in 2020 as well. And then you only need to focus on one thing. You need to rely on truth. Then the question is, what is your truth? And that's when even Christians, yes, get into trouble. They don't. They, and then, then we get into the whole area of apologetics, of course. Like, what is the truth? Oh, but Gerben, you don't understand the, the context of my life. You know, it's very hard to... I'm sure it was very hard for Jesus as well, by the way. It was very hard for the disciples. Paul and Silas were in prison. Peter supposedly was crucified upside down. Yeah, so what's your problem? It's very hard to follow. It's not easy in this world. Um, because the closer we get to end times, the more we're going to have these contrasts. And then that's why we need to be more church, more community. We need to define together as young adults, as evening service congregation. We need to define what is that truth. That's why I said to you earlier, don't just listen to me speaking or delivering a word that God gave me. Come and talk to me afterwards as well. If there is, let's have dialogue in 2020. Can we have more dialogue in 2020? There's not enough dialogue in the church. There's a lot of monologue still. But it can't be initiated by the people who have been given the monologue to, like me now with this little thing we call microphone. It needs to come from all of us. Community means that we all chip in. We all, we all have our questions. We all, can we be in praise of doubt in 2020? Can you praise your doubts? Can you do that for me? Because then we will have dialogue. Malaika looks like, what? <laughs> what? Isn't doubt a bad thing? No, doubt is a good thing. Doubt is a sign that you're a human being. That you're not like Jesus yet, so let's talk about it. Because there, in the areas where I doubt, irrespective of age and, and background and anything, in the areas that I doubt, I will find people in this small community that have faith and have lived through that doubt that I have in this very moment. But I will never know if we don't dialogue, if, we don't, if I don't come forward and say like, yes, I doubt this. I see this in the scriptures and I try to do it, but it's really difficult. Is there anybody who had this the last, you know, I don't know, five years, in the last five years, anybody in that area who has that struggle? Because those struggles will come, but we still struggle with it too much on our own. Even God is part of a trinity. Even God didn't make decisions on his own. Jesus didn't make decisions on his own. The Holy Spirit doesn't. It's, it's a trinity. Even, even God himself needed two other entities to come to perfect agreement, to come to symphoneo, to come to create an atmosphere where anything is possible. Even God, the guy who is bigger than. Just to encourage you a few scriptures. From the Old Testament first, Job 26, 14. And Hannes, you can put it on there. I didn't put pictures behind it or anything. I just want you to see the scripture. Um, sometimes the pictures can be distracting. By his power he's still to see. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power who can understand. Just the revelation that Job has about who God is and how big he is. 
that he's in control of all these things. And I mean, most of you know the Bible well enough to know what kind of happened to Job. Lost friends and, you know, and family and all kinds of things. And he keeps on making God bigger, putting him first all the time. Another guy is somebody like David. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord our, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Then Job again. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He used the word wondrously in his circumstances. I wish I could always do that. Oh, wondrous thunder. Wondrous shaking in my life. Wondrous trials. Oh, count it all as joy. James said that. We had a whole book of James thing last year, remember? Yes, these dudes. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Yes, that I understand, yeah. And it just goes on and on. There's many more scriptures. Uh, let me skip a few. Let me do one from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. And so are you. You live by the power of God. For we also, Paul writes, are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So there it is. In Christ Jesus. Matthew 19. Jesus but Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There's thousands and thousands of verses of scriptures. I can go on and on and on for months on end, quoting scriptures of God trying to get through to us, make, known, make, make himself known to us of how big he is. And you don't have to worry, you don't have to fret. That's why Jesus says these things, these kind of 70s hippie phrases, like, don't worry, don't fret. Look at the birds in the sky and the lilies in the fields. It's, it's like spiritual flower power. You are too young, some of you, to understand that phrase. But it's like, it's such a, it's like he proclaims the world and he paints a picture that doesn't look like our world, but it is the real, the reality, the spiritual reality we're supposed to live in and live from. Because when you look in the last two weeks, I mean, it's the last 12 days, not of Christmas, the last 12 days of this year, it's the 12th of January, I think it is today. First day of January, we see a lot of bad news in the newspaper. The second day of January, we hear even more horrible things, and somebody accidentally shoots an airplane out of the sky. Um, in Tehran, and etc., 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 etc. So, you know, we are presented facts. But are we as Christians fed with enough truth of who God is and what, what the, the truthful spiritual reality is that we live in to be able to withstand that? Or are we, also when we study the world, because most of you in your age group study the world. You might study economics, you might study politics, you might study music, you might study whatever you study. You study... Most of you study how the world works. And there's a danger in that. If you are not filled enough with the truths of God, then just all these little seeming perfectly rationalized truths of how the world works or should work, particularly for you, of course, as an individual, it's something called with an ism at the end of the word. Um, there are like at least 20 isms that pop up. These truths can totally overtake all of your faith combined. If you don't discuss that amongst yourselves, if you don't have discussion groups, if you don't have dialogue, if you just come to church to listen to sermons, good luck to you in 2020. Because that's not going to resolve any struggle you have. 
We need to go layers and layers deeper as you need to do that as younger people, particularly I'm speaking to the younger people right now. You need to do that because the world has come to such a place that the world is teaching you about the world. And so who is discipling you about the spiritual reality of where you truly come from and where you're going to be reunited with Jesus face to face one day? So who is discipling you? And if nobody presents or offers themselves of the older generation to you, then you go and be a nuisance. Go and demand my time. Go and just irritate me with yet another question or an appointment. Or a... Because if you're hungry, we can, we can feed. It's the same as with God. We have to, the older generation also has to be like Jesus, newsflash. Which means if you're hungry, we'll feed. But if you don't make your hunger known, to God. God is a gentleman, so we're supposed to be also gentle about these things. I'm not going to super enforce or enforce truths upon you and pull you aside and, you know, let me, there would be sheer arrogance, by the way, as well. Uh, and all the generations in the past have made that mistake a lot and done more damage. So we need to somehow find a way in 2020 as a church to communicate truths with one another and can't just come from a monologue with a microphone. That would, that's not how Jesus worked. He worked in community. He worked with disciples. He worked with the rest of the Trinity, and so did the rest. So God is bigger than. This whole story of the woman at the well, I want to encourage you to read it. I'm not going to read it today because I've already kind of touched on it and unpacked it a little bit. I think another last point I want to make about this story of the woman at the well in John 4, 21 to 24 is definitely... The fact that Jesus introduced a new concept of worship, and this is the concept that I want you to take home, and this is also what I want you to respond to, because we've got lots of time today to respond. I want to invite the worship team to come back up on the stage, <clears throat> because, you know, worshiping, we're not worshiping with the worship team. Their job as worship leaders and as lead worshipers is just to reveal, help reveal by the Spirit what the revelation of God is. Your job is to actually respond to that. And often we sing along, and maybe Ichen or one of the other singers might have a revelation, they sing that out, and you will hear it. But actually what God is longing for is exactly what Jesus said that he was longing for in John 4. I'm hearing low frequencies going back. Um, in John 4, that God is longing for. My Father is longing for worshipers who would worship Him in spirit and truth, who would respond to the revelation of who He is, led by the Spirit in truth, meaning the truth, the biblical truth, knowing the Scriptures to the extent that you know who this God is and that He is bigger than what you're going through right now and that He can help you to get through the other side. If you can get a whole nation through the sea, out of Egypt, into the promised land, don't you think it can help you as an individual? And that's just Old Testament stuff. That's not even, that's not even, that's without Jesus in the picture. So that's a promise. So I want to encourage you to make this a year of response. And then you don't need an ex you know, exhaustive, exhaustive um, explanation or revelation on worship lifestyle. Or if you want to know more, I mean, we've got modular worship academies in this church, weekends on worship stuff, and uh, also connected to arts and culture and music. We've got a full-time worship academy. If that's your calling on your life, 
to be that kind of apostolic worshiper, prophetic worship leader. Um, that we've got equipping tools for that in the church. But let's not make it too complicated. Let's just focus on who God is, and for that we have the Bible, and we have the Holy Spirit to reveal it. All he wants of us today, ever since John 4 was written down and Jesus spoke those words, is for us to respond, to have some kind of response. And it doesn't have to be a sing-along. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look like anything. It doesn't have to sound like anything. That's the beauty of this lifestyle. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's not a religion. It doesn't have to look like anything. You can just sit there and not sing. And your heart is worshiping God and it's connecting. And then other seasons in my life, I go nuts and I jump and I break chairs. And then I have con contemplative seasons. And then I have this, and then prophetic seasons. And I've got this season. And it's like God takes me through all the different dynamics of the heavenly realm in order to respond to him in different ways. Sometimes by just thinking and intellectually, intellectual worship. But it's true worship if it comes from a heart of worship. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about the activation of the blood of Jesus so that you, are, you know that you are forgiven and you have asked forgiveness so you can worship him like David already said in the, in the scriptures with, a, with clean hands and with a pure heart. That's why David was called by God as a man after my own heart. As a great worshiper in spite of his mistakes. He did stupid things like all of us do. So change the old for new, to come back to Delirious, to, to the band name, Delirious, who sang that song. I don't want you to come back to... Change the old for new, more of him, less of me. So think about, as we go into a time of response, corporate worship, think about what are you going to say to God in the next half an hour? What are you going to let go? What is it that you need to let go? What of you need to go so that God can come and invade that space? Because I'm telling you, if you leave that space to be a vacuum in 2020, it gets filled. Spaces always get filled. The question is, with what? With more knowledge of the world and less knowledge of Him? Be careful. Be careful, particularly when you're studying. Be careful. I see this on a daily basis in my job at university. Be careful. That your hunger is not that you have a balance there. You constantly check in and check with others and check with yourself and check with God. As Pastor Louis would say, up, in and out. Hearts, homes and beyond. And infinity, I just saw Toy Story 4. And so, you know, it's very important to check in. Check in with him, check in with yourself, check in with others. All three, up, in and out. Check, check, check and double check. Like a pilot in a cockpit in an airplane. I had a lot of flights over the last four or five weeks all over the world. I'm so happy that... These people in front of the plane are super disciplined and they check and double check and they check, they check with themselves, they check with the machine, they check with the tower, they check with their co-pilot. There's no arrogance in the cockpit. The minute somebody in that cockpit is arrogant and thinks he can do it all alone, I'm endangered in the back being a passenger. And you endanger yourself if you don't check in and check with others, check with yourself, check with God, up, in and out. So think about, as you respond to God right now, what is it to let go so that God has more space to work with you? The liminal space. Liminal space is the time between what was and what is next. And most of you are very excited about what's next, and most of you are very anxious about what's next. Am I hitting some truth there? Some soulish truth, not spiritual truth? Anxiety comes when you know something next has to come, but you can't define it. You don't know what it is. 
But that liminal space, uh, it's a beautiful word. That's what that means. What The time between what was and what is to come. That's, that's January for you. February, most of the studies kick off again. Year of your life has come in new. People go to university again and colleges and high schools and you name it. And, and so January is a time of praying and fasting. It really is. It's not a coincidence we do this in January. It's a time where you have an opportunity for God to define your liminal space. You know what was. God knows what's next. We don't. So it's a place of transition. January is a tra- place of transition. It's a waiting time and not knowing. It's a space where all transformation takes place. Once you're in February, I can tell you now, the rat race, the stuff, the exams. The this is a great month of the year where transformation can take place. It's a great time. If we learn to wait and let God form us. And when you wait and let go of stuff, even tonight, even after this service, when you've let go and you feel there's space, then think about the what's next. Ask God what is next. Talk to others about what do you see in me? What is next? What could be next for me? Don't go home and think about these things long and deep on your own. That's where strange thoughts come and sleepless nights. So... I pray for that. And immediately worship. Immediately pray. Immediately study the words. Immediately. Take action. It's a year of action. It is a year of action. The church is overfed and spoiled. You need to let go of your excess spiritual fat and biblical knowledge and maybe activate a few things that you know instead of getting more knowledge. Just a suggestion. It just came out of my spirit. So people, let's stand. People, we believe that God is bigger than, bigger than the air we breathe. And we're trusting you, Lord, for your glorious ideas and creativity to be on display this year. And to be supernatural normal about it. <laughs> supernatural natural. Not weird. Not people. Not that other people can't connect to us. That we, just, that we are excellent, that we go the extra mile for people, that we serve people better, just because Jesus served people better, just because God himself has done so much for us. And we are imitators of Christ. We are followers of Christ and imitators and learners of Christ. Disciples doesn't just mean followers. You can follow all you want. It doesn't mean you learn. So be a learner of Christ. Learn from the principles. Imitate the activation of the principles because Jesus did nothing that he did not see the Father do. Which means everything you see Jesus do in the scriptures, that is exactly what the Father was doing in that very moment. So it's worth imitating. So let's worship him in spirit and in truth. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and help us to be led to the truth, capital T, Jesus Christ. The truth, the way and the life.